you have your scriptures with you, would you turn to the Gospel of Luke, the first chapter. I've been preaching about worship in December. <clears throat> and uh, a few weeks ago I preached about worship being an upward dynamic, that we needed to journey upward because... Rather than bring down God down to be like we are, we needed to transcend so that we could become like Him. And then a couple of weeks ago, I preached about journey outward, worship being the fact that we had the chance every day to recognize God in all of His creation. And therefore, our worship would become richer as we saw Him active in His world. Last week, I talked about worship being onward. Uh, like the journey of the Magi, we needed to recognize our faith as a lifelong pilgrimage. We needed to travel as far as we could, as long as we could, to be as near as we could. Now, today I want to talk about worship as a personal relationship, an inward thing. And what I would like to do this morning is like to take a personal relationship with Jesus, a biblical personal relationship, that of Mary and watch its stages and treat that as a paradigm for our stages of worship. I hope that will become clear to you as we go along. Please read uh, with me out of the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to start with uh, 30, verse 31, and I'm going to read various, uh, various verses, skip some verses. Now, in the sixth month... The, uh, this is verse 26. In the sixth month, angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to, the man, to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. Now, I'll tell you why that is in just a moment. He continues then, uh, Luke continues to detail the Christmas revelation. And at the end of that Christmas revelation, Mary has a response to make. And she makes that response in verse 38. Not really knowing all of the depth of what she's agreeing to, she describes herself. Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. In other words, her relationship to him is the answer. I am the Lord's property. And therefore, that is the answer to whether or not I will respond positively. Be it done to me according to your word. Now, she's scared. This is a wonderfully, terribly frightening thing. But then it begins to dawn on her just how chosen she is. And later on, in verse 48, you can see as a part of the Magnificat, her trying to struggle with what it means to be chosen. The wonderful exhilaration, the terrible responsibility. For he has had regard for the humble estate of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. I don't know if you remember the first time that worship became personal for you. 
Some of you may not have reached that point yet. Some of you may worship God out of a sense of duty, out of a sense of tradition or custom, or because it's good for your family, or you feel like it's the right thing to do. Most of us were reared like that. But some, I would venture to say many of you, have come to the place where they have been elevated by the call of God to understand that worship is a very personal, chosen kind of privilege. Now, that at once becomes both a wonderful and a troubling thing. Because along with that personal relationship with God through Christ comes all of the responsibility therein. If God has picked you for wonderful things, He has also picked you for difficult things. What is there in us that wants to be recognized no matter what? No matter how hard that is, we want to hear the call of God on our lives. What is there in us? Um, I went to an usher's banquet the other night, and I sat between two soldiers, old soldiers. Not old, but they're ex-soldiers. Probably not ex. They're out of the service now. You know the situation if you've been around soldiers that like to tell soldier stories. I was raised in the Legion, and my mom and dad were Legionnaires, so I have all the old war stories, and they're a part of me, and I love them. There's a, there's a definite nostalgia for hearing old war stories. Well, I was sitting beside Lee Short, and Lee Short was telling about his time in boot camp. I don't know how many of you have been through boot camp, um, but you will remember it if you went through that as one of the most difficult experiences of your life. You got a, dr- a, a drill sergeant who was one of the meanest, orneriest people in the whole world whose whole job was to make you into soldiers. And there was nothing nice or wonderfully frilly about that whole process. As a matter of fact, he wanted you to know who you were. Now, you also remember that you learn very quickly, if you're in the armed forces, that the favorite game is to not do anything that will make you conspicuous. Because if you're conspicuous, you're going to be picked out for some hard things. You don't want to be too crummy. You don't want to be too good. You just kind of want to blend in. And as long as everybody's blending in, then the drill instructor just goes along with his normal stuff. If somebody doesn't blend in, guess what happens? Everybody pays for it. So everybody's going along on this one uh, 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 exercise. They are in Missouri. This place has just had a freeze, and then it had a melt down to make some nice mud, and then it had another freeze just to form that thin layer of ice over that mud. And before you go out, you know you don't want to do anything bad because you're going to be doing push-ups in the mud if you do it. You're going to break through that ice and you're going to be doing push-ups in the mud. Well, here they are. The whole company of them is jogging along, you know. They're all trying to do just fine. And Lee looks up and he said, I saw that drill sergeant's eyes narrow. You know how it is. And he thought, his heart stopped. He said, oh, Lord, is it me? You know, have I done something that would interrupt this process? And And the eyes got narrower. And he says, do I see a hand raised in my company? Well, Lee says, I looked down. Both mine were down. And everybody else was doing the same. But there's this little voice in the back of the group that says, yes, uh, Sergeant, it's my hand. What do you want, soldier? Well, I was, uh, I was wondering, uh, 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 Sergeant, if, if you could call me by my first name. Oh, man, the whole company just broke up laughing. They couldn't help themselves. Well, while they're down in the mud doing 100 push-ups, the conversation continues. 
Sure, slime ball. I didn't even know your name, scumbag. Tell me your name. What is your name? It's Wally, sir. Wally! Well, I'll be glad to call you by your name, Wally. And Lee said for the rest of boot camp, you could hear above everything else, Wally, you scumbag, get down and give me a little call from that point to the And boy, Wally, just do it. Just glad to hear his name. What is there about us that under any circumstance want to be known personally? Let me ask you to consider who God was to people before we knew his tenderness with children before he died on the cross for us. The image was of a drill sergeant. The image was of someone who was running a tight ship who wanted to whip the world into shape. And so when Mary heard the call through the angel, you bet she wondered what might this mean. You bet she pondered in her heart and she was greatly troubled because she had just heard from the drill sergeant. Mary! See? But as she considered what God was about to do, to send a Savior, even through her, even though she realized she would be, listen to this, raising God. Now, most of us raise people who think they're God. Not really. But to actually raise God. She began to get exhilarated. God has chosen me. She began to be elevated. And she began to know what a wonderful thing it was for the person that she worshipped to think more of her than she thought of herself. Have you ever had that in your life? To greatly respect someone and to hear by someone else that they greatly respect you also. You know, you remember what that does to you? I remember seeing a little boy one time overhearing his dad talk about him. He did not make a peep or make his presence known, and his dad had absolutely no idea he was there. And he overheard this conversation of his dad talking about him. And his dad said essentially this, You know, that's my boy. And of all the boys in this world, of all the children in this world, I would have chosen that boy. I wish you could have seen the look on his face. I wish you could have seen the effect on his life. That's my daughter Mary. Not all the women in this world, I chose her. You know what it is. Yes, some of you do. The first time you come into worship and you realize out of all the people in the world, God has chosen you to call you close to himself. That's my boy. That's my daughter. I chose them. That's a great sense of elevation. And that is a kind of worship that is wonderful for all of us. And I know many people who just stop right there. And for them, worship is coming and trying to regain that sense every Sunday of chosenness, of one-on-one -on -one with God, where they can hear God say again, you're my daughter, you're my son. Out of all the world, I've chosen you. It's a wonderful sense of worship. But there's another, another level of maturity in our relationships with each other, and there certainly is another level of maturity in our relationship with God. If you will turn 
to the third chapter of the Gospel of Mark, let me show you that a relationship, once elevated, becomes a person now relegated. There comes a time in Mary's life when she begins to understand that she is no longer at the center of what God is doing. When she is now literally in the grandstands and watching that. Let me read this to you, starting with verse 31. Jesus is teaching now. He has a group around him. And the Bible says, and his mother and his brothers, these would be his half-brothers, arrived and standing outside they sent word to him and called him. And a multitude was sitting around him and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Now, let me just interrupt this for a second and ask you. If you were teaching and you knew that your family had come a long way and you were in the middle of a class and somebody came in and said, Your mom and your brothers are outside, what would you do? I would just stop. I would say, excuse me, just a minute. Man, my family's here. And that probably also was Jesus' initial reaction. But Jesus is making a point here. This is not by accident. This is not by whim. He is making a point. And the point is, as he looks around, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about on those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers... For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. You see how Mary now has been relegated to another form of a relationship. For a while in Jesus' life, she was central. And Jesus was central for everything she did. But now there's a separation. A normal, sweet separation. But a difficult separation. So difficult because no longer can she protect Jesus. No longer can she control or manipulate Jesus. No longer is she the governing voice of what Jesus does. So difficult is this, that in the 19th chapter of the Gospel of John, we see the ultimate of its difficulty as Jesus hangs on the cross. And verse 25 says, There were standing by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. There had come a time in Mary's life, long since past, that not only could she not protect Jesus, but it was actually now Jesus taking care of her. Parents, some of you have been through that stage and some of you are going through that stage right now where you are no longer the center of your children's universe. As a matter of fact, you are almost helpless because you've been relegated to the grandstands. Beck and I know what that is. We went to a wrestling meet the other night. You sports moms and dads know all about this. Went to a wrestling meet the other night. I got a kid who's a freshman who wrestles, who's great. He's undefeated, pins four out of five guys. But the kid on the varsity got hurt, and they pulled him up to varsity. And when we heard that, there was much fear and trembling, although we didn't say anything. Then when we saw his opponent, there was more fear and trembling. <laughs> this kid was unbelievable, had muscles on top of his muscles. He was undefeated, state qualifier last year. And here, 
they were going to send this kid in against my boy. So the thing starts. And predictably, this kid goes after my kid with everything he had. The only reason that my boy made it through the first period is either because he had such grit or he was so stupid. He wouldn't lay his... We kept saying, lay your shoulders down on the mat, you know. But no, you know, he's through the, you know, and, and going into the second period, you know, and his, I mean, the, the kid looks like a purple pretzel. Because, purple, because he got the wind, not, you know, the wind is, is, is choked off. You can do that in wrestling, by the way. That's totally legal if you do it the right way. Because they figure, if you pass out, then your shoulders will go down, then you can breathe again. That's the rules of wrestling. Wonderful thing. And, you know, his arm was bent. Oh, man, just looked like a question mark all up over his head and so on and so forth. Well, Becky, sitting right beside me, I look at her, she's got tears in her eyes. She's going, oh, Hunter, oh, Hunter, his arm's all bent up where he can't breathe. Oh, Hunter, do something. Well, now, it's time for me to do, it's time for me to do the man talk on her. So I did the man talk on her. I said, now, Beck, I said, this is a really important thing for him to go through. See, this is just, we can't interfere with this. I can't stop this wrestling match. And, you know, Beck, if you can't take these kinds of things, you just ought not to come to these things because this is a man thing. See, you gotta, you gotta go through this. You just can't, you know, you gotta get a hold of yourself here. Meanwhile, I'm, I, inside I'm going, holy cow, stop this match. You know, he got his arm bent over, you know, quit the thing. It's so difficult for parents to be relegated to the stands, you know? It was so difficult for Mary to be relegated to the stands. Does this guy know what he's doing? Does he know what he's getting into? But here's the point. We've got to be relegated in a relationship because the main things those people accomplish in life won't be through us. And in worship, we've got to realize someday that the main things that God accomplishes in this world will not be dependent upon us. We will not be the central player. We will be one of the players. But He will not accomplish His ultimate through your life. He won't do it through my life. Now, that doesn't mean we can't be supporters. But what it means is our worship goes to a whole different level where we are not at the center he is at the center. Just like in a normal relationship. And that's a whole different kind of worship. Yesterday, I, I watched uh, people carry these gifts out, the angel tree gifts. Some of you don't know what that is. Uh, um, we've come to the place at church where we uh, provide Christmas for the children of uh, prisoners, inmates. And, uh, and Lori Travers heads that up, and, and it's been a wonderful experience. And this year... We had 20 families that we started out with, and they just kept calling. And Lori just has such a neat spirit. She just, every time they call, Lori say, well, if you give them to us, God will provide. Somehow God will provide. And one after another, God provided. And I, and I watched those presents go out yesterday, and, and I watched Lori back, come back, big tears in her eyes. And she said, this is so wonderful. And I said, Lori, I appreciate so much you doing this. And he, she said, no, you don't understand. You don't understand. I didn't do anything. I did not. Everybody says, this is neat, Lori. I didn't do anything. And then she began to tell me stories about how God had made all these arrangements. By the time we got done, we weren't providing for 20 families. We were providing for 30, Christmas for 30 families of kids. And it, it happened like this. 
people would call in, and within a very few hours, people would call in with needs. With a very few hours, people would call in with desires to answer needs. Lori said one family, and I don't know who the family is, but one family, just, they're, out of, they're out of work themselves. They don't have anything. But they wanted to provide Christmas for a little, for a little kid. So she had a little five-year-old girl, and all this little five-year-old girl wanted was just a little pair of tights and a little purse. That's all she wanted. And this guy made this beautiful cradle. I mean, and put a little baby doll in it and tights and a purse. And so he gave it. And then that family calls back and says, well, we want to do it for another child. And, and Lori says, well, you sh- are you sure? You know, Yes, we really want to do this. Well, what do you want? She, he said, well, we're awful partial to five-year-old girls. Love to, love to provide for five-year-old girls. And Lori says, well, I don't, I don't have any, you know, but you know, maybe we'll get... She hung up the phone. It wasn't ten minutes later till they called back again, said, we got another family, five kids, and there's this little five-year-old girl, you know? You know... God was working both ways. He was providing both the needs and the answers, and sometimes He was providing the answers before He even provided the needs. You understand how that works? That's how God works. And when you worship God, who does not have you at the center, but has you in a position of appreciation, you're not doing a whole lot. I mean, you're cooperating, but you're just watching Him do it all. There's a whole other level of worship. And you're saying in that level, you know, God, it's still personal. But I don't have to be at the center. I can watch you work in people's lives way above and beyond where I'm at. And I can worship you better because of it. Let me ask you, can you worship God better when you're not at the center? Is God bigger? Is God's sovereignty lovelier for you? Because he's not dependent on you. That's another level of worship. And then there's one more. You know, when people get to that stage and they say, well, you know, God's not dependent on me. Maybe I'll just sign out. I mean, God will do his thing. I'll do my thing. and We'll be okay. Let me show you another stage in Mary's life. One more stage. It's in uh, the book of Acts, chapter 1. There is the stage of being elevated that lasts, by the way, forever. There is the stage of being relegated, which lasts, by the way, forever. And there is also the stage of being dedicated. Mary did not drop out because she was not the central player anymore. It did not make her flag in her zeal any the less to be one part of what God was doing instead of the central part of what God was doing. Let me read this to you. Starting with chapter 12. This is after Jesus has been ascended to heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying That is, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot and Judas, the son of James. These all, with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Now, you realize what he's done. In this, he has just listed the first team, All-American. All right? This is the first team. But he goes on to share who else was there. Who was there as a supporting cast? And he says, 
along with the women. Now, that is the supporting cast. That is the cast that is in there praying just as hard. You know, they're not taking spiritual leadership at this point. They're not taking spiritual leadership, but they are there to be just as much a part of God's plan. They just happen to be anonymous. Look at the third team. And Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. You see what's happened here. Mary didn't come in and say, I'm the mother. I'm the mother. Uh, I'll be listed, thank you, with the apostles, you know. I'm the, I'm the mother. I'm the mother. You know, listen to me. I knew him better than... I knew Jesus when he was in diapers. I knew... See what's happened? Mary just came along to be a part of what was happening. And whatever role God had for her, that was fine with her. She was available. She was available. Let me ask you a question. Is it okay with you that you are one five billion? of what God is doing in this world. Is that okay? Is it okay with you that God is using you in a way He's chosen for you, but not in the way He's chosen for everybody else? Is that okay with you? Is it okay with you that sometimes you will not play a central part? Is it okay with you? You can't hold everything God has. You can't assimilate everything God has. There's an old preacher who used to pray... Lord, I can't hold much, but I can overflow lots. I like that. Is it okay that you can't hold much, but you can overflow lots? Now, let me tell you how this is healthy worship. First of all, because God works in our lives when we simply supply our lives, not when we arrange our lives. Let me say that again. God works in our lives when we simply supply our lives, not when we arrange our lives. Someone asked William Booth, um, what was his contribution that made such an impact to the world where he started the Salvation Army and that had had such a record of ministry? And Booth simply said this, I always gave all I was to God. He always had all of me. All of the adoration of my heart, all of the intention of my will, all of the influence of my life, and then he did with it whatever he wanted to. That is simply supply of our lives. Not the arrangement, that's the supply of our lives. And it is so much healthier for you. Do you know there's been a study done? I love these little studies. There's been a study done. Uh, let me see if I can recall the name. Larry... Um, uh, Sherwitz, who is a Ph.D. Uh, with the University of California Medical Center at San Francisco, did a study of people who use, this is going to kill you, personal pronouns. He said people who, who overuse personal pronouns, I, me, mine, have twice, listen to this, twice the number of heart attacks of people who don't. What does that tell you? When you're the center of the world, when you think God is working through you, period, holy cow, the stress that puts on your life. When we use pronouns like we, and us, and our, it's healthier physically, it's healthier spiritually. 
Would you pray with me now? God, we have three requests this morning, and we ask them humbly. First of all, if there's anybody here who has never experienced personal worship, who has not yet known that they have been chosen by you, but yet they have it in their heart this morning. They want to hear you. They want to have a personal relationship with you. Would you right now motivate them to open their heart and invite Jesus to come in and live so that their worship may no longer be only formal. Their worship may be personal and elevated and exhilarating. But second, Lord, there's a lot of us that have experienced those times of exhilaration. Move us from the place where we believe that that is ultimate worship. Move us into the place where we can be relegated to watch what you're doing in a lot of different lives and feel closer to you and more awestruck by you because we are not the center of worship anymore. We are not the center of the world. You are. Let us be in the grandstands cheering for you, supporting you, singing your praises. And thirdly, help us pass the temptation after we realize your sovereignty and how much you don't need us what a great privilege still it is to be used, to be available, to be suppliers of our lives. We need you every hour to remind us of that because we want to give you every hour the opportunity to work through us. That, we know, is worship. That, we know, is giving our bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to you. And that is what we offer this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.